All right, what is up, everyone? Uh, we have a special guest today on the podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have him, author, co-author of a brand new book entitled Family Discipleship, Leading Your Home Through Time, Moments, and Milestones. We've got with us Pastor Adam Griffin. How are you doing today, sir? How am I doing? Man, what an intro. I am pumped to be with you today, Ebenezer. It's great to see you again, and I am so honored to talk with you about this book, but about anything, man. I talk with you about anything. Yeah, for, no, the honor is all mine. I know, like, I, I'm excited to have you here. And for those that don't know, I know you had me um, in your home. Um, is it a year ago now? Sometime. And yeah, with COVID, it's hard to tell. It might have been 10 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just really enjoyed our conversations. And, you know, you had just planted uh, uh, Eastside Church, and we we're on the in the process of planting Perizim and just to learn from you and grow and see what you guys did and um, just get a behind the scenes look at what the Lord is doing with you guys is a great deal. Um, very beneficial for me. So yeah, to have this conversation is a true joy and honor. So thank you for getting on here. Well, it's my pleasure. Seriously. It's my pleasure. Yeah, cool. So I, you know, the, I was really excited to read this book partly because um, I am really big on discipleship. And I have always wondered what that would look like in the family context. Um, I'm also a youth pastor, so I see the effects of, of not discipling your kids and what that looks like on this end. Um, and so this was a real helpful and practical book for me uh, to kind of walk through. And so let me just start off by asking you, uh, what was kind of the, the motivation behind writing this book? Like what led you uh, to want to, you know, get on this journey of, of sharing what God's heart is in light of family discipleship? Well, you know, student ministry is my background too. I love working with teenagers and investing in young people. And I've done that for a long time. Yeah. And so then becoming a dad and, and uh, overseeing family ministry at a church led to these conversations about, man, how do we make it really clear what we believe the Bible's expectation is for a parent mm -hmm. and what they should expect from us, the church? Yeah. And that led us to creating some language and some clarifying and I believe really helpful framework uh, around what we believe the responsibilities are both at the church and of the family. And then, man, I just love being a dad. So getting to write about something I love about raising my kids to know Christ, man, I was I'm pumped. I mean, yeah. I've been I've been chomping at the bit to do something like this. It's like, man, what if, what if we had a bunch of awesome moms and dads understanding their role in their family and what benefit that would be to somebody who's in student ministry or somebody who's a pastor or any community, man. You just think about the change it would make in a city if we had a bunch of incredible moms and dads plugged in spiritually, looking at the kids in front of them and just loving them to the Lord. Yeah, no, that's so good. Uh, you alluded to this in the book. Uh, you guys uh, referenced Judges, where the generation after uh, Joshua didn't get raised in learning who the Lord was and even what the Lord had done for their parents and their grandparents. And you see that affecting that generation and them walking away from the Lord all together. And so, yeah, speak to that a little bit. Speak to like the importance of investing in our children. Um, I'm not a parent yet. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I, I believe it's better to be proactive than reactive. And so, um, but yeah, just in light of what you shared, why, why, why is it important to invest in the next generation? And how does that unravel as they get older and what that will look like in the next generation? 
That's good. Well, one day, if the Lord has you as a parent, you are going to be a great one. You are going to be a fantastic dad, man. I appreciate that. Uh, I think what you just pointed out is 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 a great example. I I think what you have uh, in the Bible, you know, people love to quote Deuteronomy six when you talk about family stuff, and it's great. Deuteronomy six, man, raise up these kids to know the Lord. Talk about it all the time, but few people remember that uh, the generation that they were supposed to be raising up, that, that specific generation, Deuteronomy 6, was not communicated to the next one. So when they come up, yeah, in Joshua, they're, they're a lost group looking around going, well, I guess we'll just do whatever we want then. And jo it says, as long as Joshua was alive, they followed God. And then when he, was, when he passed away, they rejected him. And so I think you see kind of a, when the cat's away, the mouse will play. And we certainly have an opportunity in this generation not to repeat that same mistake, not to repeat that same like sin against our own kids. Yeah. But man, what I want for my kids is something better. And what's interesting is in the generation they're in now, it is a uh, increasingly secular mm. advert, uh, you know, first to um, they, I mean, our nation is averse to the lot of the things that we believe and increasingly we seem like to be at the margins and that really could be what the Lord has for us and what's good for us, but it doesn't change the call for every parent to say, Hey, in, in a world where uh, the culture does not believe what we believe, I want our kids prepared yeah. to stand up for what they believe. And you know, this as a pastor, a lot of the work that you do in pastoring your church is preparing them to interact with a culture that believes something totally different. Yeah. So if all we do with our kids is just kind of say, well, let's just like let the culture kind of disciple them. And, uh, and then I'll just kind of bring them to church with us. They're not going to catch what the Bible is, is calling you to catch. And they're not going to catch what you're hoping they're going to catch. It's going to take a greater level of uh, accountability and intentionality. And so that's why we wrote the book too, is just knowing uh, this has been the call on the family since the beginning. Yeah. This is the, the great commission to make disciples, but also we live in a day and age where a lot of us were not discipled. A lot of our generation did not follow the Lord. And so oh, kind of a new awakening to that idea of, of being countercultural in the way that we raise our kids and preparing them to be countercultural as well. That's so good. Yeah. There is a section in the book. I was, um, as I was reading, I was terrified. You, you guys were talking about how, you know, you got to prepare your kids to be hated by the world and you got to prepare them to endure. And I never thought about it that way. I know, I know it seems, I mean, it seems uh, pretty logical, but when you step back and think about it, like, wow, you're really uh, raising your kids to have a worldview that, a worldview that will be countercultural and a worldview that will cost them many things. And so let me, let me ask you like, why, why, um, you know, why is it that much more important than to spend time being intentional with your kids? I loved in the book how you guys talk about it's not really this extravagant thing, discipling your kids. It's just being present in, in, these, in, in, in your kid's life and being intentional. But speak to like why those little moments, those steps of intentionality can really prepare our kids or the next generation to suffer well for the gospel and how we shouldn't make light of these small deposits day by day. That's good. Yeah. I, I do think it's not a uh, hopelessness we're aiming for. We're certainly not aiming to raise kids like, Hey, 
I want people to hate my kids or I don't want them to be irritating. I don't want them to be obnoxious or something. But we, we see clearly in scripture that the Lord has said, hey, the world hated him. And so the world's going to hate us. And so if we treat our kids that Christianity is cool and it's the most popular thing in the world, and that's why we do it implicitly or explicitly, we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. And so to your point, we have the opportunity every day, if you're a parent or not, man, there's, if any place you see somebody around you, to point out to the truth of the gospel. And if you are a parent, what an opportunity to point out how mom or dad believe something different than what we are watching on TV, yeah. experiencing in the culture. And it's not just all this like uh, uh, sit around the fireplace, let's sing songs and uh, read a scripture. Although that is a great part of family discipleship. Some of it is watch how mom and dad are different and watch how mom and dad deal with the fact that um, we're not interested in some kind of a cultural popularity contest. Yeah. We're interested in being faithful to our God. And right now in the, the political atmosphere that we're in in America, there is a ton of comfort with disagreement. Yeah. But disagreement often looks like disrespect and Christians are going to be different, but we're going to do it righteously. We're going to be people of peace, peacemakers. Yeah. And we are uh, training our kids to understand like, Hey, just, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean they are a piece of human garbage. Yeah. And so how do we as Christians love our neighbor yeah. and yet believe something totally different yeah. and want our neighbor to come to know it? Well, hopefully our kids are going to witness that in the way we model it. Right. And the way that we teach them from the scripture, but also kind of the little moments, like you're saying, it, it's not some complicated, uh, add this to your calendar. You need to change. You need to become a theology wizard to this. It's, it's as simple as following Christ around your kids in proximity to your children and, and being reliable in that. Yeah. Speaking to that, um, you know, I got a little emotional reading, um, you know, how every night when you and your wife put your kids down, your three boys, how you pro just kind of speak a verse over them. You have a specific verse for each of them. And I got really emotional because I was thinking, wow, like they will remember that for the rest of their life. That will be hidden in their heart. And it's in, in the passages that you guys chose, they were so profound and prophetic and almost like a mantle. It felt like you guys were handing them uh uh, the baton away in, in a way. And so speak to like why you decided to do that every night to just go over this verse or these three different verses for your three different boys. Like what was the heart behind that? Yeah, we're trying to think of, especially when your kids are really, really young, like when they're first born, yeah. it's hard to decide what will discipleship look like for a kid who doesn't read, who doesn't speak, who doesn't do anything but, you know, poop himself and cry. Yeah. And so for us, it was one of those early things of like, let's decide something that we want to be true of our kid that is true in scripture. Yeah. And so uh, some of that was very similar to what you're talking about, where we're like, we want a verse that is like a mantle handed down to the next generation. So for Oscar, it's a concluding um, of one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, where it's kind of like he's, he's kind of given his final words, uh, not in his lifetime, but his final words in this letter and saying a, a kind of a summary. And so for us, we wanted a verse for Oscar that summarized a lot of things we want for him. So for him, it's be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man and be strong and let everything you do be done in love. Yeah. And that verse is not only true for him that we want to say it at bedtime, but we'll say that like in discipline moments, I'll say, man, or, you know that we want for you, Oscar, for everything you do to be done in love. Is that what you see in the situation we just walked through? Is that who you're being? Are you being a man? And at the same time, what are we praying for him? To be on the alert, be on the lookout, man. There's temptations in this world that want you. There's a, a prowling enemy who wants you. We're going to be on the alert and stand strong. Yeah. And then for Gus, much more to what you're talking about, 
there's this great verse of David kind of handing down his kingship to his son, Solomon. And he says to his son, be strong and show yourself a man to charge the Lord, your God, walking in his ways and statutes. And for us, that verse just so clear what ours are for our boys to be carrying on the faith of their parents, following God, his statutes and commandments, and that, uh, that he will be a man, the man that we've called him to be. And then for Theodore, we kind of ran out of those really manly charge verses like that we wanted. And uh, we spent a long time thinking about what's a great verse that's kind of, again, a summary of what we hope for our sons. And that's why we picked Micah 6, 8, because we want him to understand this is what the Lord has asked of you, to love justice, kindness, humility. These are the things that we see growing in him, hopefully, but also just in our desires for him. And so every one of them has got that memorized now. Sometimes we have them say it. Sometimes we say it. Also yeah. friends that land, they've written their own blessings for their kids. They'll say, man, uh, you know, they'll, they'll pray over the kid, you know, uh, little, little Ebenezer. I hope that, you know, the Lord grows your heart in kindness, gives you the spiritual gifts, you know, they just kind of write their own. And I love all of that. But yeah. for my kids, it's like you said, I hope they never, they can never remember a day where scripture wasn't spoken over them and where there wasn't some hope prayed over them. I want that to be true. Even when we have babysitters, we ask them to say like, either ask them to say their verse or the babysitter can say the verse over them if they feel comfortable. Wow. That's so intentional. That's beautiful. And I know you also said how you guys have just like verses all throughout the house as well, so that your kids are just surrounded by the word of God. So that's really dope. You, uh, you, you alluded to modeling a little bit, uh, showing your kids what it looks like to love your neighbor, uh, what it looks like for you to love your wife, so on and so forth. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, I, I'll start off with a question or a story before actually asking this question. But I remember um, growing up, you know, I'm Ethiopian and in the Ethiopian household, um, you know, your relationship with your parents uh, doesn't really exist. Uh, the interactions you get is, have you done your chores? What do your grades look like? Um, and then that's it. That's the extent to your relationship. And so, and then you'll get lectured about God and why church is important and so on and so forth. And so I didn't even know this, but like my whole life, I was trained to think that all God would want from me is my chores or me fulfilling my responsibilities and so I remember being in my lifespan psychology course, it was a sophomore year in college. And I remember my, we were, we were going through, I forgot what stage of development, but the professor that day was, you know, I had the privilege of going to a Christian university. So we were able to bring in a biblical worldview, but the, the professor stating in the class that, yeah, like how your parents treat you is how you understand God to treat you. And that like made a lot of sense immediately. Like, wow, this is why I feel like God doesn't want to spend time with me. This is why I feel like God is always displeased with me, that God is distant. And in the book, you guys talk about the importance of showing grace, right? You definitely want to discipline because you want to, you know, show that God is holy, right? And there are consequences for your actions. But you, you, you guys do a good job of talking about um, just what it looks like to extend grace and forgiveness and to be in relationship with and not to overreact and to model for them the kind of forgiveness um, that God has shown you. Um, explain like, or kind of if you can, um, you know, what that's, that's been like for you, the journey 
for you and your wife as you're trying to, you know, because I, I know it probably isn't easy, right? When your kid does something that you don't want them to do, the immediate reaction is to freak out or go to your room. But like to, to like, what, what's that process been like for you guys to be mindful and intentional about uh, just modeling the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the kindness Romans teaches us is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so just even exemplifying that in your relationship with your sons, what's, what's that been like for you guys? Man, that's a fantastic question because I think the grace of God, obviously I need it in my life. Yeah. So biggest part of modeling to me is remembering I'm not trying to model some kind of fake perfect dad who never makes mistakes. I'm trying to model for my three sons what it looks like to be an imperfect person who's repentant when he makes mistakes, who's humble enough to admit it and to learn from his consequences, who when he is critiqued or when he is uh, rebuked for sin is willing to hear it and willing to consider maybe somebody else is right and I am wrong. And in all those mistake-making modeling times, like I hope my sons are growing up to be similarly uh, peaceful, gracious, humble young men. And so if I want, uh, one one of the things we talk about in the book is if you want something well-developed in your children, see if that's well-developed in you. So if you want patient kids, is the Lord made you patient? And if like one of the ironies in parenting is sometimes you'll catch yourself yelling at your kids to stop yelling or uh, <laughs> screaming at your kids to be more patient or to be, or to be more patient or to be more kind. Like if you find yourself going like you, you kids stop screaming and you be kind to one another. It's like this. <laughs> I want this in my kids. What are they learning from me right now? And if yeah. what they're seeing is this kind of easily annoyed temper is short man and I expect them to be patient and kind because why? Because I put rules around them. Mm-hmm. Man, our kids smell hypocrisy a mile away. So modeling something for our kids is really important. And I'm not saying we're not going to make mistakes. I'm saying the mistakes are going to be an important part of how we respond to our mistakes in our modeling. So God has been so gracious. And the kindness that you show towards your own children, that often, you know this, we will show kindness to strangers sometimes that our parents did not. Uh, show to us or we will not show to our kids you know we'll we'll treat our family who's closest to us sometimes like uh, the least uh worthy of our grace and kindness and instead we want parents to consider what if what if you modeled for your kids uh the kind of patience that you wish they showed you um the kind of joy the kind of gentleness the kind of grace the kind of self-control you want to see in your kids what if we could model that for them and then when we fall short, what if we could model repentance and say, this is where mom screwed up. This is where dad screwed up. Will you please forgive us? Yeah. And in that, teach them how to make mistakes, own it, apologize, confess, repent, and walk in confidence that they're forgiven. Yeah, that's so good. Um, you know, it's funny because when Jesus told his disciples to make disciples, he was speaking to disciples. And I feel like sometimes we're unable to make disciples because we ourselves haven't been discipled. And so speak to why it's important for parents or even for me, I pastor a very young church and it's uncool or unpopular to be disciples sometimes or to be plugged in. They'll show up to church, but not really be in the life of the community and how really uh, we're sowing something that's not going to reap anything well for us. Um, in the future. So speak to like the importance of um, our spiritual health and how that trickles into our parenting and how we um, raise up the next generation. Because like you said, they can smell hypocrisy 
from a mile away. And so if we're not doing what we need to do um, to grow in our love and our affections for Jesus, if we're not taking responsibility for uh, putting to death our sin and being held accountable and being loved on and being poured into, uh, that's only going to show up in the way we parent our kids. And so why is it important for us uh, to to be plugged in and be discipled? Yeah, nobody wants any parent to fake some version of spirituality that's not genuine for them. All of us, one of the things we talk about in that chapter is that we want parents to have an authentic, genuine walk with Christ themselves. That you, Howard Hendricks used to say, you cannot impart what you do not possess. Like you can't give it away if you don't already have it. Yeah. So for any parent, um, man or woman, if they're married, we want them to be in some kind of uh, devotional life together, potentially, and, and certainly individually, that is genuinely dedicating their heart to God. Even in the book, Chandler talks about how he, when his kids come downstairs, they find him reading in his kitchen his Bible. And while he's not doing that so his kids can see it, he's doing it because he's actually trying to be a, a son of God himself and you know, following his father. Yeah. What it is uh, reaffirming for his kids is that his, their daddy's faith is genuine. This yeah. guy really wants to be in the word and really wants wisdom from God, does not expect to just kind of coast through life, fly by the seat of his pants and tell his kids what's right while he's doing something else. So yeah. if we don't have a genuine walk with God, that's where we start. We start with, if I want to be a Christian parent, then I first have to be a Christian. In other words, if I want to be a follower of Christ who leads others to follow Christ, then first I have to be a follower of Christ. So what does it look like to follow Christ, to, to understand the gifting that I've been given and the, the gifts that I have, and to be an evangelist, a teacher, to be a shepherd, to be somebody who cares for my neighbor, to love God above all else. Those are, those are the things that I want for every mom and dad before we start to think about how do we give that to our kid. Yeah. Yeah, so good, so good. Um, uh, the the last uh, section of the book you guys were talking about milestones. Something that um, really grabbed my attention was, you know, it's really easy to take advantage of the positive milestones, whether it be your birthday or graduation um, or getting your license. But you guys proposed a thought that I hadn't really thought about before, and it's taking advantage of even um, the hard stuff and reminding. Uh, our children of God's faithfulness or maybe God's strength or maybe God's um, commitment to his promises towards us. Um, what, like, has that been difficult for you guys to take difficult moments in life and flip it, whether it be a loss of uh, a loved one or uh, I don't know, whatever it may be, like how have you guys used difficult moments to point them back to Christ? Uh uh, one of the things I think of right off the top of my head is on my calendar, I put in the anniversary of when my wife's father passed away and I put in his birthday mm. and on Father's Day, it's something that I'm um, I'm uh, mentally aware of. And I think about how on those days, I want to be especially mm. uh, pastoral towards my own wife yeah. to remember her hurt that day and to point her towards God's faithfulness. Okay. For us, that's a milestone that we commemorate. The day that her father passed away was a significant day in our life. Now, my kids were not super old at that point, and so we don't spend a ton of time with them, but we still talk about their grandpa on those days every year and talk about what they lost in that man and, and what God has uh, done in and through him and where he is now in his faith and with Christ. And yeah. so that was a hard thing. But I think in the families that I'm around, 
you know, some of these families that I'm around for them, it might be the, when their parents got a divorce mm-hmm. or when, uh, one of the things we talk about in the book is, you know, for Matt, he, he had a seizure and found out he had cancer on Thanksgiving. And so for Thanksgiving for their family, it's a lot different. every time he goes in for a scan to see if he has cancer, they go out and they celebrate as a family and commemorate those things. But might also be how uh, if somebody's endured an abusive incident, it might be how we process that in an ongoing manner. That is a milestone in a kid's life. If there's been some form of abuse and that's when we say nothing about it, it, it's not helpful. So how do we point to these highest moments, which I hope are obvious. I mean, birthdays, Christmas, Easter, you know, graduation from high school, baptism, or how do we look at these lowest moments in a kid's life and think about how are we going to disciple this person? And it's not as simple as just going, well, I hope they'll, they'll ask me if they need something. That is a cop out and that is cowardly. But as a parent, I'm going to be the one who's leading. I mean, that's what the whole book is about, is about leading your, your family spiritually. So I'm going to lead out on how we're going to talk about things and whether we're going to talk about things. And some of the hardest things are going to be necessary for us to help our kids process through. Yeah. The, the, one of the reasons why that section stood out to me is because I know just from my own personal life and pastoring a community that pain shapes our worldview. And if we don't bring the gospel into that, it'll be very easy for us to have a misrepresentation of who God is and what he thinks about the pain that we've experienced. And so it's so beautiful to see it from a young age to be pastored in a way or to be discipled in a way where we can see the goodness and the faithfulness of God, even in the low moments, matters a great deal. Um, I, I got I got kind of a funny question for you, but um, so I'm single. A lot of our listeners are single or dating um, right now. So what would you what, what what would be your advice for those that are looking to marry? Like what what should they be looking for in a spouse as they're thinking about family discipleship? Like what are characteristics that stand out uh, or that we should be looking for as we think about uh, settling down with someone? Oh hilarious and incredibly attractive i think those are the that's all i'm looking for (laughs) (laughs) yeah the bible says that beauty and charm are fleeting right so i mean i think what's interesting i heard uh, ben stewart say this once when i was uh, talking with him about dating he said most online dating now is based on beauty and charm it's like can they say something witty and do they look all right and he's like and those are the two things the bible warns you like just so you know those things don't last And so as we're looking around, uh, when you consider family discipleship, one, I do think there's a lot of application points for this to us as sons and daughters who are single or cousins or grandkids or whatever you think about. We are, we are leaders in our home. If you're listening to a podcast right now, chances are you're old enough to be a leader. You know, you are not, you're not an infant. So how do you lead your family in family discipleship, even from the son position or the daughter position? You have to, but as you look at your compatibility, Christ has some very specific things that he said about being equally yoked and being equally yoked includes things like uh, having the same faith, having the same mindset. And I'll tell you some of the hardest family discipleship uh, experiences I've heard about are when a family, a father and a mother have different religious hopes for their kids. Yeah. So as you're looking at who you're going to date, or if you're getting serious, you're thinking about marriage, family discipleship would be a really important thing to have in mind is how are we going to raise these kids? Mm -hmm. Is there a denominational affiliation that one of you has that the other one does not? 
Is there a preference when it comes to intentionality that one of you has that the other does not? Or is there any deficiency? Was one of you discipled? The other was not. And is there anything that right now you can start going, hey, I want to be, I want to be a, prepare, a prepared father, not just a make it up as I go along type dad. So who's a guy that you admire, a woman that you admire, that you could spend some time with their family and see what it's like to disciple? Right now I have a group of about 20 to 30 single guys go to my house about once a month. Now during COVID that's been harder, but, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the first things we do is they sit down with me and my boys and we go through our family discipleship routine together because wow. I want all these single men to be very familiar and very comfortable and for it to be very ordinary for them to see us read the Bible with kids, pray together, sing together, say goodnight. I want to, I want a whole church growing up around the idea of the normalcy of that. Some of us didn't have that. So it's going to take a lot for it to feel normal again, but it's an important thing to have talks about conversations about. It may not be the first talk on the first date, but as things start to get serious, man, that's a, that's an important topic. For sure. No, that's good. I appreciate that. I know our listeners will appreciate that as well. Cool. Well, I just got one more question for you. What, um, what's on your heart? Like what's, what's a message you want to get out? Like why should people read family discipleship and why is this something um, important to consider for our generation? Yeah. What's on my heart, man. I think about the, I think a lot about legacy and not just like, I don't like my name being remembered. I don't care. Like I don't, I don't want a gravestone. I don't want a memorial. I don't want somebody visiting my name someday, but I think about our legacy of faith. I think about the generations of my mom's family who followed the Lord, not even know their name several generations ago, but my discipleship is, is a result of their faithfulness. Yeah. When I think about how the opportunity you and I have in this conversation right now mm-hmm. could be this tiny little seed that grows into something significant a couple generations from now. Yeah. I think one of the metaphors we used in the book is like a redwood seed is really small. But inside every redwood seed is the possibility of an entire forest of giants. And I think about that with the tiny moments that we have with these kids, with this generation as a, as a youth pastor, as a, as a father, as a mentor, as a mom, whatever it might be, but even the tiniest interactions the Lord could use for this incredible ramifications in the generations to come. So that gets me fired up that what we're talking about right this second could have the largest impact of anything we might do which is investing in another person and seeing that branch out as the Lord grows fruit from it. And the, the Lord talks about uh, yielding a harvest that is multiples of what you have put into it. And I think that's exactly what family discipleship is, man. What if we did a little bit of work with this generation that led to a gigantic harvest? Yeah, that's so good. I think it was mother Teresa who said, if you want to change the world, love your family. And so, yeah, no, that's so profound. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart. Uh, and thank you for this book. I've been recommending it to all our families at Parazim Church, like letting them know y'all got to read this. And um, I, I'm going to go back and read it over and over again, because there's just so many gems in here. And so yeah, thank you for not just writing about this, but living it and uh, inviting others to be a part of it. Uh, I know that it's gonna, it's gonna grow a harvest one day. And so yeah, thank you once again for being on Shaping the Culture, brother. Well, thank you for having me. I was so, uh, so grateful for the invitation, Ebenezer. Love you, man. This show is so great. You keep up the good work, buddy. For sure. Thank you. Love you too, man. Appreciate you. Until next time, family, peace and grace.